time, Kenneth Shepard. Hi, that's me. It's it's time for for you and myself, Eric Van Allen, to kick off. Are are we calling this another season? Are we calling this, or is this like a new installment? Is this a new adventure in the life of Normandy FM? Yes. <laughs> it's a new thing. Uh, so for those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, uh, I am Eric Van Allen. Uh, my co-host here is Kenneth Shepard. Uh, we run a podcast called Normandy FM. And it was called that because when we originally started this whole shindig, it was a podcast for Ken and I to talk about Mass Effect. Uh, we both are big fans of the Mass Effect series, and we have always kind of been around each other in the gaming sphere. Uh, we met each other while writing at a game site. We have both freelanced. Uh, we are both at various jobs now within the games industry, and we've never managed once in that time to talk about Mass Effect until we started Normandy FM. And so that was great. Fast forward a couple games, and we played through the entire Mass Effect series, had a host of wonderful guests on, uh, did a ton of special stuff, and we... in. In the process there, we started a Patreon to help, just to help pay for our SoundCloud hosting costs. And if we ever got more than that, we said that we would consider doing more Bioware games. And we got there. Our, our fans, those who are listening right now, uh, are said, hey, we want to support you. We want to uh, see more of this. So here we are. We're doing the next big bioware series we are doing dragon age and and ken got a lot of feelings about dragon age i don't know about you how are you feeling going into this season uh it's one of those things where i mean it was kind of the same one with mass effect i'm ready to be done with the first game already and get to the ones that are interesting uh <laughs> not to say that i don't have like i don't have wholly negative feelings towards dragon age origins which is the game we're starting today but I have probably, like, mostly negative feelings about Dragon Age Origins. And a lot of that's not necessarily the fault of the game itself. I feel like it's, like, and we'll talk, you know, specifics in a bit, but like, I feel like it's a very good foundation, but it was not franchise-ready. Like, it was not mm. made with, like, the future in mind. And, like, because, like, Origins to Inquisition, you know, the, the last game, they're kind of unrecognizable. Like, not only just in the way they look, the way they play... But also like the way that it kind of portrays the same the same world. So there's a lot of interesting stuff about talk about origins, but it altogether it's very bare bones and I don't feel like I have like a whole lot of like passion for it. But I do think it's interesting to talk about, you know, I, I guess eleven years later at this point, to kind of see you know, the trajectory of the the series as a whole. I said back, I think in last season, when we were getting ready to end all of our Mass Effect talk and, and get ready for this Dragon Age thing, once we knew that it was locked in and set to go, I said, Mass Effect is more fun to talk about because it's something that I think we both enjoyed start to finish. Uh, your feelings about Mass Effect 1 aside, I really like Mass Effect 1. Uh, some, some, Eric, might say that it, it is on certain days the second best Mass Effect, uh, given how I feel on any given day. Uh, 
at least tied for three with me but we've been over that song and dance a million times already and anymore we'll just raise kenneth's blood pressure through the roof <laughs> so uh we're saving that for our pax panel uh <laughs> With Dragon Age, I agree in that I think it's going to be the more interesting one to talk about because I think it's... I mentioned this, uh, for those who don't know, I write for US Gamer and uh, I wrote a piece there last year that was about, is for the anniversary, I think it was the 10th anniversary of Dragon Age Origins, uh, and it was titled, uh, on its 10th anniversary or whatever, Dragon Age Origins is better than you remember. And I stand by that. I stand by that take because... I think a lot of people forget where Bioware was going into this, uh, going into the Dragon Age series as a whole. And this game specifically, if if Mass Effect was not the moment where Bioware was pivoting, I feel like Dragon Age was that moment where it really made them start to think beyond the the kind of crpgs that we normally yeah. see where they started having these ideas that eventually created the bioware formula that i feel like was then solidified with mass effect 2 and dragon age 2 but uh we start to see the bits and pieces of it here but it's still very much a crpg in other ways uh in the vein of your your planescapes your baldur's gates your neverwinter nights and so it's, I think it's a fascinating game in that respect because it's it's like the flashpoint. It's like the point of inception where you can say this is where RPGs in the West started to change. And mm-hmm. you can do the same thing kind of with some of the Fallout games. Like, obviously, you know, Fallout 2 to Fallout 3, huge difference there. But there was time there. Whereas with, with Dragon Age, this was all kind of happening along a line. And we got to really see it develop almost in front of us and i will say that i'm not a fan of high fantasy for the most part it takes a lot for me to it takes a lot for me to really like high fantasy uh the witcher is one of the few cases in which i like high fantasy uh because of the way that it handles its subject matter i don't care about like oh it's a grim dark thing Mm -hmm. i like i like that it treats its people like people and also it's monsters like people i usually the way that fantasy treats a monster is how i'm going to like gel with it and i feel like the further we get into dragon age the the clearer you can see that whereas in this first one it's a little bit more lord of the rings than anything else um and that's yeah and that's like kind of where i stand like even just at the very beginning it's like this feels very like even looking forward like it doesn't hone in on things that are interesting about this world Mm-hmm. And it feels very much, like, stuck in that sort of, like, rut area of, like, Dungeons and Dragons and tropey, yeah. you know, species and uh, race relations. And, yeah, I just, it, it's fine. I guess, like, it's fine. Like, we can, you know, we can, I guess we move on to specifics now, but just, yeah. Well, to, to start that transition, I think one of the interesting things to note is that Bioware up to this point had been a largely like a a dungeons and dragons developer you know it had done a lot of work in the dungeons and dragons universe so to see this as kind of a rebuttal to that is kind of interesting because i think the one thing that origins does really well and that we can talk about here with all the different origins the titular origins that we have is that it sets up this world that's really interesting um this i i feel like through the different origins you get very different senses of 
not just this world but the way that different people in it view it and it's i've said it before when we were talking about mass effect but that's something that i wish mass effect would do because as much as i like the character the idea of shepherd uh i've always wanted to have that character in mass effect that feels a little bit more plucked out of the crowd a little bit more this is you know you can play as an asari you can play as a turian you can play as whatever and you're going to see how the world reacts to that person instead of just how a human character interacts with the world and i'll start by saying for for history here i've only played through dragon age origins i think twice i and honestly one of those times i might not have finished my playthrough i did a the first time i played i was human noble warrior and the second time which i don't remember if i finished or not i was a human mage I think I did not enjoy the mage combat whatsoever in this game, which is weird because as we go on, my my feelings about a lot of this series and its systems kind of change entry to entry. Right. Um, but in this one, I was like, okay, I'm going to play something that I haven't done before, and I'm going to try to break out of my mold a little bit. I'm going to walk the walk. Uh, so I was like, let's do City Elf, and we'll play a City Elf Rogue. That feels like a very role-playing thing that I could get into. Uh, and man, have you played City Elf, Ken? Yeah, very long time ago. Starts Never off it, like all the way through, but like oh, I played through all these origins at some point. It uh, it really starts off, Ken. It really gets <laughs> going real fast. Um, so for those of you who don't know, obviously we were talking about Dragon Age Origins, and uh, the whole thing with Origins, the reason why they put it in the freaking title is that you have these different origins that you start out with and you can pick from all of them there are uh city elf or dalish elf uh human noble dwarf commoner or dwarf noble and then mage which is either a human mage or an elf mage they have the same origin story uh but it i think it changes some of the dialogue we can talk about that when we get to that one uh with city elf you start out as an elf living in the i believe it's called the alienage yeah. uh I'm double checking that momentarily yeah. uh yeah, yeah. i remember because i was like that's a really weird word for it that's a really interesting word for it uh and you are having your wedding day and ken we're gonna start this podcast nice and strong with uh if you are a boy elf you have to marry a girl elf and if you're a girl elf you have to marry a boy elf (laughs) that's just how it's gonna work to its credit it does let you say i don't want to marry this person i don't i didn't get far enough down that line of uh inquisition to say like i literally don't want to marry that person like like that's not my sexuality but um it did let you basically say like i want to do this and your dad's like too bad this is what we're doing right now um and that one part aside the one thing i did like about the city elf origin is that you're seeing a side of the city that you really don't see in most of the rest of the game i i believe there's a part later on where you go to an, to an alienage but it's kind of treated as this like side quest this side activity whereas here you actually see what these characters go through on a regular basis and uh both you and your friend are are to be wed and then on the day of your wedding uh which duncan of course we will 
get to know and love in these origins uh, yeah. happens to show up that day uh the local the local human noble walks in and uh i forgot what they call it in braveheart like prima nocta or whatever basically says i'm gonna abscond with the brides and we're gonna take them back to my castle and we're gonna have our way with them like mm. and it really gets going fast and i didn't realize this at the time but i was playing i'm playing a male elf rogue so my bride was taken if i had been playing a female elf rogue i would have been taken by the human noble which actually i think makes it one of the shortest quests overall because you skip a lot of this in between that's about to happen but then you have to go on a rescue mission to get the brides out of there and along the way you end up killing just a lot of people i think you can probably stealth by them but i just killed a lot of people because i was like screw these nobles they're treating us like crap <laughs> let's overthrow the freaking uh the whole monarchy here and i got to the end and killed that dude too and got everybody out of there and uh you're you're basically like okay well i've done something that has caused a lot of ramifications that will come down poorly upon the alienage and probably the best way for me to get out of this is to go join the gray wardens which is what duncan wanted me to do uh that's a lot to that's a lot all at once but i with these origins i kind of want to set the table for each one of them and then we can talk a little bit about why each of them are interesting or, or things that stick out to us about them and for me it was definitely this from the beginning you are playing as a character that is on the lower rung because when i'd played this before I was playing a human noble, you know, I'm playing this silver spoon screwball who's just like, oh, bad things are happening in politics. Uh But here it was like, no, this is like a daily occurrence for these people. And you're just the character that's finally had enough. And now you have had enough, but you've done enough that you need to get out now because you will be killed otherwise. It was a really interesting way to start up this playthrough for me. Right. So I think that we, because like we, we've gone through over a lot of stuff here. So like, I want to introduce like I guess we talked about mm-hmm. the sort of uh, quick aside that we're gonna do on some episodes where we do what we're gonna call like a lore corner. What the hell is a Grey Warden, Eric? A Grey Warden is a special warrior uh, that is. I don't think they're the only ones capable of slaying Darkspawn, but they certainly seem to be the best at killing them. We learn a little bit more about what exactly the Grey Wardens are later on, but for right now, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, they are kind of the warriors that are best suited to stopping the Darkspawn horde. Yeah, and they also have like enough political power that they are allowed to like pull criminals out of like jails and stuff like. People, Mm -hmm. they're basically allowed to override law to pull people into their ranks because, you know, the Darkspawn, as we'll find out, are these, like, you know, these really bad things that are, they come up every so often in the World Dragon Age, and basically, they basically are allowed to draft people, like, regardless of their living situation, any sort of, like, laws or uh, whatever is going on, and that's sort of, so the interesting thing about, like, all these origins is that all of them happen regardless like in in the continuity of dragon age origins what is the what determines the outcome is whether or not duncan is there to intervene and like you know Mm -hmm. conscript you into that and basically by whatever origin you pick you are basically setting duncan's path for the first section of the game 
Interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that before, but that's an interesting way of, of thinking about it. Uh, the and, and for those at home, if that sounded weird at all, an easy like pop culture reference is they're kind of like the uh, oh I suddenly forgot the name the in Game of Thrones the 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 people at the wall the people who watch the wall um, I. I forgot the name of it. I'll remember it later, and I'll, I'll kick myself for not remembering it. But it's the uh, it's the idea that one thing that we we skipped over with the major lore of this game is that there is a darkspawn horde, that an arch demon, arch demon shows up every however many years, and a new darkspawn horde arrives. When the game opens, you see Duncan, this gray warden, fighting a bunch of darkspawn and kind of looking off in the distance and saying something foreboding like. Oh, it's only just begun, or something like that. Mm. Um, and so, that is like the general setup: is that all of our all these origins characters gradually find themselves into situations where, either for their own benefit, or because they don't have many other options, uh, they end up joining the Grey Wardens. And in many cases, like with the City Elf origin, sometimes characters will be trying to prevent your conscription. Uh, so mm. the the main character here uh, is getting married. It's hinted that his marriage was moved up because they knew that Duncan was going to be coming and wanted to conscript the the main character, the city elf, because his mother, or I, actually, I think it's always your mother no matter what. I don't think it changes based on which gender you are. But uh, this character's mother was previously a very powerful person uh their class might change depending on who you are for me it was a rogue uh and Mm. duncan was like your mother was a very powerful rogue it seems like she taught you a lot of what she do uh i i tried to conscript her into the gray wardens never succeeded Uh, i'm here to get you now because there is a dark spawn horde coming and we need gray wardens so that's how the city elf happens uh you take off into the sunset you can kind of tell your bride like hey uh it was never going to work. You can try and be like, hey, you know, maybe if I ever come back. Uh, I think I kind of told her, like, shame we never got to know each other or something like that. She ends up saying that she's going to start a store uh, in the local uh, alienage along with the other bride who shows up. And they're going to help take care of your cousin uh, mm. who kind of receives the worst of it and and comes out of there a little a little shaken. Right. Uh, and that was kind of the other thing that struck me from what I remember about the human noble um, is that as you leave the the human noble, it, it kind of ends up feeling like you're, you're leaving everything behind and you're just going off to a new adventure. Obviously, it's a little it's it's darker than most. But that was the thing with City Elf is that I was kind of leaving all these threads still hanging. And it was like they were all going, there's nothing more that you can do here you need to leave we're going to take care of this and that felt very different to like this sort of scorched earth that a lot of these origins usually leave behind right uh which ended up making me a little bit more tied to my character this time around because i'm like oh yeah you know this is going to be a lot more interesting uh Mm -hmm. because this might tie in later uh from what i'm aware of this maybe does not tie in a lot later but (laughs) (laughs) we will see uh let's move on to dalish elf which is kind of not very interesting, in my opinion. Mm. Um, the, there was one interesting part. Meryl. Oh, Meryl. Elf, 
Does she is appear in this? in this one? Yeah. Okay. She's like not even close to the same character. Yes, but she is. She in here. is. Yeah. yeah. There so, you go. A character who will matter one day, but not here, not Rem- today. Remember that name, Meryl, might come up again if I play <laughs> Dragon Age Two anything like I played it the first time around. Um, <laughs> but other than that, uh, so a key, another key lore difference here is that there are kind of two. I guess I, I don't know what you call them. Like there are elves who live in the city and try to live with the humans and kind of live in this these for lack of a better term these ghettos these alienages uh living in the lower sections of the city always subject to the human nobles Mm. uh this is definitely like similar to the witcher in that you have a situation where instead of the elves being this like elrond rivendell sort of character uh they are very much like have been subjected to the humans and have to deal with the humans bullshit all the time because as all good fantasy does the humans suck <laughs> mm. um with the the others are the ones who kind of keep to the forest and try to keep the traditions alive and that's the dalish elves and when we start the dalish elf origin it's I, I, essentially you're adventuring with a friend and you find some humans who say they discovered runes uh in a nearby cave and you end up finding a mirror, which unleashes some magic on you. Um, you Remember you, that mirror later. Yeah, keep keep an eye on that mirror. Um, Duncan rescues you, and you go back to the cave to go searching for them again. And you once again meet Duncan, and you basically find out that the mirror has kind of infected you. And the only way you can survive... Uh, is to join the Grey Wardens because you've been given the taint of the Darkspawn, which is a regrettable name for this thing. <laughs> We're going to be talking, we talking a lot about Darkspawn taint. All right, just <laughs> I'm just going to get through that. Um, which it it at least gives you like a reason, like a maybe a more solid reason for why you would join the Grey Wardens versus just you know in City right. Elf, like maybe you just run off or maybe you go into hiding or something. Gives you a better reason for why you would join the Grey Wardens. You know, you literally have to do it to survive. But this one overall, I didn't feel like there was a lot to it. Uh, it it has some interesting has some interesting lore stuff in some ways that ties into the game later but even this clan of dalish uh isn't the one that you meet later on in the game it's a different clan of dalish so it kind of feels like this is just it's a little bit of an addendum and then it ends up being cooler in retrospect than it is in this game in a vacuum right it's it's got more like grander ramifications and origins but like in the you know in origins it's just kind of like a little throwaway mm-hmm. at least comparatively speaking fun fact this was written by david gator hey all, all these different ones were were written by different characters or characters people yeah. <laughs> um but yeah this was written by david gator uh that dude has written a lot of bioware stuff yeah. uh dwarf commoner the dwarf origins are actually pretty cool they are uh, like like I'll I'll say now like the dwarf stuff is like some of my least favorite stuff in all of Dragon Age, but for the origin stuff it's all some of the better ones I, I would say. I would say dwarf commoner maybe not as much. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's the one that I had the most difficulty like getting a sense of 
how this was important and how this played into the larger role um you, you basically are working for the carta which is the the dwarf mafia mm. i guess let's say uh the dwarven underground i mean they're already underground but uh literally yeah like the the crime the crime gang uh, which sounds pretty sick actually <laughs> um but y- you are basically someone who gets thrown into uh the local proving grounds uh and and you go through a bunch of fights and it- it's just kind of a comedy of errors through all this stuff and eventually you get imprisoned uh by the the carta boss and you come to face to face with duncan and uh you're kind of just given a choice of whether you want to be killed or thrown into exile in the deep roads, which is something we'll talk about in just a moment, Ken, don't worry. Uh, or you join the Grey Wardens. Uh, I think this one's more interesting just because you get to get an idea of what the underground life is like, which is, I think, what we're going to spend most of the dwarf origins talking about. Uh, the dwarves are a really cool species in this because of their relation to the Darkspawn. Mm-hmm. Uh the dwarves all live in the underground areas of Thetis, uh, which is the fantasy world that we live in. Uh, I always get that mixed up because, like, Thetis is the world, Ferelden is the continent, right? Right. Uh, I always get those two mixed up. Glad I got it right the first time. <laughs> We're one for one so far this year. Um, and this, because they live underground, they're very stubborn about it. They also end up being kind of the first line of defense against the Darkspawn because the Darkspawn always come from the underground, from the deep roads. And it's it's cool in a way. It does super mirror your typical like dwarf fantasies and the idea that like, oh yeah, the, the dwarves and the orcs fighting down underground all the time. Uh, but I like this a lot because it ties them in closer to what is the larger conflict within at least the first uh, Dragon Age, this like the Darkspawn horde. The idea that they are kind of on the front lines, that they're the ones who are holding the gate while everyone else is dealing with stuff upstairs and that makes them a little bit more hardened but it also explains a little bit why they don't want to get involved with the affairs of other races. They've got their own stuff to be dealing with. Yep. not much anything else to say about the dwarf commoner here no nah, i think the dwarf nobles where we need to go ahead and get jumped to yeah. that the yeah i mean this is when i was doing my research getting into origins i was trying to figure out which origin i wanted to play uh frequently dwarf noble was the one that came up as the one to play it is the good one uh and it's also i think probably the longest of all of them it definitely has the most mm. to it uh, where you play the the second child to the king and it ends up tying in a lot to the things that you do when you come back to Orzammar. Again, so just more context, I've not played this game as much as Ken probably has and I'm trying to keep myself fresh on this so I'm trying to play every week right. instead of playing it all in a binge. So there are definitely things where I'm going to be like, I think this and I may or may not be right. So please feel free to roast me in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the the interesting thing about the noble, I'll kind of let Ken drive for this part because he's probably going to be fresher on this than I am. But you are kind of you you're dealing with the actual nobility and the politics of mm. 
the dwarven underground and you're kind of seeing how this all operates like how the system that you might see in like the human noble origins operates in this underground setting and and it's this kind of just tussling match between who owns what little real estate all the dwarves actually have right yeah i think and i think the main conflict of it is that your your brother in the scenario his name's balin it's about you two sort of like fighting over basically he's going to ascend mm-hmm. to uh the throne or whatever they call it um what I think is interesting, my sort of like anecdotal interesting thing about this this is what I find so interesting about playing all the origins like after the fact, like after I played through uh, the very first time, was I, you know, foolishly from the outside, like not obviously, I played as a, a mage and we'll get to my origin later. So like, I don't have one, a lot of stakes in, you know, dwarven politics. I don't have a lot of knowledge. So I mm-hmm. come in with my like, viewpoint of like oh uh you know nobility generally that runs through bloodlines so i'm like okay i'm going to support the brother of or like the son of the king who has died at this point and like that just seemed like the naturally like normal thing that i figured out what i was supposed to do but then when i went and played the origin later and i kind of got like the actual full context i was like oh that was like a big fuck up and that was a mistake and like i that came very much from me having like a very uh, individual perspective of the Dragon Age universe coming from a different origin. It's like, you know, I mean, this, we can talk about that a little bit more when we get to my origin, but, like, that is something that, to this day, I think is really interesting about the origins, is, like, how you first start this game mm-hmm. is gonna kind of shape your thinking and perception of this world, because not only is, it, like, have you entered this world from a certain origin, but you've also people like react to you a certain way depending on which origin you pick or people will tell you you know things with like half truths because like you don't know any better so i think on that front the dwarf noble origin is something that's always kind of stood out to me as something that playing through it the second time where i played this origin really solidified what made this sort of setup that they have more interesting than something along the lines of like like we talked about with shepherd where like you were coming from one very particular mindset where origins gives you the opportunity to see all these different you know sides of the universe and gaining that knowledge might make you feel something about the way you acted in another playthrough like you know getting the full context of something that you originally came with a very narrow view of mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 really cool i like i like the way this this game starts out a lot in general um and one of the other things that I think Dwarf Noble in particular does that I wish this game maybe picked up on a little bit, which again, we're going to be saying that a lot for this game, uh, is there's this whole cast system that I completely spaced about until about like five minutes ago when I was looking over the wonderful Dragon Age wiki page for dwarves, uh, that there's this entire system of casts and the way that they move up and down within the casts and the way that dwarves kind of vie for power uh within the underground it's it's just a really i don't know it's i I like this i like this fantasy setting a lot i feel like we get to see more of it as the game as like the series goes on especially dragon age inquisition i feel like we get a lot of all this stuff whereas here we get kind of just the surface level but uh, it's it's a good time yeah so dwarf noble um how, how does how do we end up joining the gray wardens here ken 
uh, I believe you get exiled, uh, mm-hmm. or quote-unquote exiled, by your brother, who has, you know, framed you, I believe, for your father's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to double-check and make sure that's true, because this is, like I said, it has, I, I have played through all of these, but it has been a while. Um, it's also, then, like, the longest origin by far. Um, yeah, and... Th- it's, it's quite an origin. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, you're, you're banished, and then Duncan finds you, and it's like, hey... I got this. Play, I got these things called the Grey Wardens. You want to join us? And like, well, I lost my entire livelihood, so mm-hmm. why not? Yeah, you basically find yourself like in the deep roads on the verge of just being murdered by darks by darkspawn, uh, and uh, well, you know, fight or flight. You got. You got to do what you got to do. Um, Human noble. This is one that I thought was good until I played other origins. That's extremely <laughs> fair. It's a, it's an interesting uh, origin to have throughout the entire game, just because like the le- like the end game options for you are so starkly different yes. than anything else. Yes. So it is like the very vanilla, privileged character, but. That, I, I mean, if do you want to be king? Because that's like a thing that can possibly happen. Like, I mean, do you want to be like the ruler of the known world of Dragon Age Origins? Mm-hmm. I mean, all you got to do is deal with some family tragedy. Yeah. So, like, to sum up, to sum up, the human noble. Basically, you are the you are the son of a a human noble, and you're getting ready to answer the call. And I like that the one thing that this origin does is it sets up kind of what the backstory of Ostagar, which is the next major thing that we're going to be talking about in the next podcast, is uh, you get kind of that exposition early on of, hey, there are Darkspawn, and King Kalen has called everyone to battle. We're all supposed to assemble at Ostagar. And as we're getting ready to head out there, um, Arl Howe shows up. And this dude sucks. Uh, from the beginning, this dude is just a villain. And so, obviously, he ends up betraying you and seizing the castle. Um, as you as you fight your way out, you quickly realize that everything has gone terrible. Um, everyone around you is dying. Your whole family is, is dying. And uh, Duncan basically fights his way through this castle that is in the middle of being taken over and seized. Um, and <laughs> basically everyone you love dies as you escape from with Duncan and you're kind of the last of your line. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's um, a it, it really is. It's like, again, I hate to use, it, it really feels like maybe somebody was reading Game of Thrones when they wrote this because this is definitely like a red wedding situation yeah. uh, where just everyone is dying. And uh, it it ends with a lot of tragedy. And so that makes it compelling in its own right. But I think the reason why I say that uh, this, this is the one that I thought was most interesting until I played other origins is because I saw it as interesting in the vein of like what will best inform this game and not necessarily what will best inform my understanding of this world right uh so after i've already played this game through once i think this is the best origin to start a playthrough on that's that's fair uh i i would even say like 
if you don't want to play a human noble, maybe just either watch the origin or play through this and then start it over with another origin because this will give you the most firm foundation for what is going to happen at Ostagar and later on. But uh, I think this is also the earliest that you can get the dog. I don't think you get the dog this early because you can get the dog here. Right. Um, I, I forgot what they call the dog. Uh, I'm looking uh, it up. I'm a bari. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can get your Mabari here, whereas in other origins you have to wait till much, much later to get your your kick-ass dog with a party <laughs> member for like clarification. Like, yes, yes, yeah. an actual party member. This is the the origin with the earliest party member that you can recruit. Uh, but also, I just feel like I came out of it understanding human politics a little bit. But I think mm-hmm. that I don't know that ends up. Maybe it's because I've already played this game once, but I I did not want to see this origin again because I was like, I got it. I got it all already. Yeah. And that's just how like, I felt about it. And also kind of like skews your view of everything else, I guess. Like, yeah. And that's, there's like something to be said about like the privilege of being royalty in a universe where there are people that are clearly like under your shoe. But I don't like, I mean, because is, is the mage the last one we got now? Yes. Okay. Uh, and I think the mage is an interesting one, even though it's one that I do not like to play. <laughs> well, that's the going off of like sort of the origin you pick first kind of sets a precedent for how you're going to perceive this universe later. Mm-hmm. You know, my very first experience with Dragon Age was the mage origin. And that has informed not only the way I play origins, but it's sort of like informed my view and, you know, the way I exist in the Dragon Age universe in general. Because, like, I always play Mage, and that's across all three games, and that has very much solidified sort of, like, the values of my characters in these games and, you know, what my end goal looks like. Uh, so, basically, the, the Mage Origin, it establishes basically, like, the X-Men plot. Like, people that are born with magic all live in this place called the Circle of Magi, and it is both, like, a school to learn how to use your magic, but also, like, it's basically a prison as well, because they have mm-hmm. this sort of, like, uh, these guards called the Templars, who are always vigilant about, like, trying to prevent mages from being, like, corrupted by demons, and that, you know, is a is a very exploitable thing, where people, you know, if they don't like a mage, they will be like, oh, this person is about to become an abomination, which is, you know, a person that has been possessed by a demon. We gotta kill him, or we gotta, uh, Put, go, put them to the Rite of Tranquility, which is, like, a thing that basically removes a person's connection to the spirit world called the Fade that will basically make them an emotionless husk and also not susceptible to magic in any way, shape, or form. Um, so you start out this origin doing the thing that is called uh, the Harrowing, which is basically, like, your test to prove that you're not susceptible to demons. Mm-hmm. And... That means you have to go into the Fade, which, again, is, like, the spirit world, um, and then complete, like, a test. And you're led to believe that, you know, you're supposed to be fighting off a demon, but the entire time you've got this other guy here who claims to have been a person that lost his heroine, that has been stuck here forever, and you basically come to find out that he is trying to persuade you the entire time to, like, help him out into the real world, and that is the actual test. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you finish that, and then say so you are made an actual like mage in the circle as opposed to an apprentice which is sort of like people that are still that have not taken their heroin yet uh you have your best friend named jowand who 
uh, hasn't been to his heroine yet. He starts to worry that they're going to make him tranquil. Uh, he, uh, he, he reveals to you that he has been seeing this woman who is, like, in the church, which, I mean, that's forbidden in one way, and then mm-hmm. he's also, like, a mage, so, like, there's, it's a big taboo relationship going on here, and she has told you and him that she has seen, like, the paperwork that has been filled out that he is going to, in fact, be made tranquil for suspicion of doing blood magic, and blood magic is uh, a type of magic that is fueled by, like, a pact with a demon, and instead of being uh, powered by the this, this stuff called Lyrium, which is... I, there's so much lore in the fucking origin, I swear to God. Um, the mage one is, like, the most lore-heavy, like, yeah, right out the gate. Absolutely. Like, not even a question. Like, what the fuck is the fate? And they kind of, like, gloss over these things and mm-hmm. kind of, like, piece them together through just, like, hearing people talk about it and, like, they're talking to you, like, you should know what stuff is. And, like, I don't fucking know. I don't know what blood magic is. But basically, uh, they believe that Jowen is... A blood mage, so what he wants to do is destroy this thing called a phylactery, which is the thing that they basically use to track mages if they ever, like, escape or go bad, and it's made of, like, their their blood, and, you know, they do a thing on it and whatever. Um, so he wants to destroy that so he and his uh, lady friend named Lily can escape and run away together. Um, so... There are a lot of ways, that you, or not really a lot, there are a couple ways that you can uh, go through this, but real quick, I do want to give a shout out to our boy, Cullen, who is he shows a temp- up. He, yeah, he is a Templar who is, like, brand new to this and very, like, starry-eyed and, like, fully believes in the cause. Um, yeah, and let's, like, let's remember him, because we'll come back to him multiple times throughout the show. God, yeah, uh, he really does show up a lot. In literally every game. Yeah. And so, you basically have two ways of going about this. One, you can tell um, what's happened, or like what they're planning to do. Like you can tell the uh, the senior enchanter, who is like you know the big boss mage, who is also kind of like a church apologist. So we don't we don't fuck with him really. Mm-hmm. Or you can like you know earnestly try and help Jowen escape. Um. And so there's, like, a lot of, like, puzzle stuff to that, and that's not really... Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, mm-hmm. Ken. What do we have to do to help him escape? We have to destroy the phylactery. What is a phylactery? It's a thing of blood that is used to track mages. I just said that. Oh, okay. I, I forgot if we went over that or not. There have been so many pieces of jargon, because I was trying to keep in my head, I was like, right, what's Lyrium again? What's, uh, what's this? What's that? Mm. Okay, we talked about phylacteries. Okay, good. Yes. That, that's All an right. important one. Yeah, so, I, my, the way I went about it was I decided to go and help them destroy the phylactery, um, and it's weird to, like, because in the process of this, you go through, like, different, um, areas of the circle where you learn little bits and pieces about, like, places in this world, like, there's a statue that talks and tells you it's from to venter, which Lily, the the trick woman, is like, oh, to venter, that means it's, it's evil magic. So like, it's a hint at this other place that you know doesn't really seem to have anything to do with us, but it is like establishing that there is a world beyond, both like beyond the circle, but also beyond Ferelden, and we're gonna touch on all of them at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the event that you do end up destroying the phylactery, you come out and there's already like a gang of Templars there ready to arrest you all. And then 
Jowen in attempt, in like an attempt to save himself and everybody else, uh, stabs himself in the hand and reveals that he is in fact a blood mage and that they were right to do what they did. And Lily, upon realizing this, is like, "Oh no, stay away from me! I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who you actually were." And then the Templars are like, "Well, what about this guy? Like, you know, you? Like, what did? What about this person that helps them out?" And then Duncan, like the hero he is, is like, well, instead of throwing him in jail or making him tranquil, I could use him. Hmm? Maybe that? And then, you know, the Templar, they kick up some dust about it, but the senior chanter's like, I mean, we can't stop you. That is literally the point of, like, conscription with the Grey Wardens. That right. you, like, no matter the circumstance, if you want that person, you can have them. So. Well, and, and as we will maybe... Let's let's leave it on this tease, as we will soon learn that maybe being a Grey Warden is not all it's made out to be, right. and that Grey Wardens maybe don't have a huge life expectancy. Right. Uh, so, so in some it's, ways, that kind of solves their problem. Themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this this origin is the most interesting in a certain way, in that it sets up what will be a conflict through every single one of the Dragon Ages really ends up being if not in this one certainly in two and inquisition the driving mm-hmm. conflict uh outside of one other one in dragon age 2 but i feel like even in inquisition aside from the corypheus stuff uh the tensions between the church and the mages are always at the forefront mm-hmm. uh yeah. and Obviously, that is shaped a little bit by if you start your origin here and you have that to begin with, you are in this conflict right away. For me, it was almost the opposite because for some reason when I was human noble, they were like, oh, so you want to be a Templar? And I was like, no. (laughs) So, um, But here's one thing that is a question. Don't worry, listeners at home, we will return to many, many times. Uh. What do you think of the Templar Mage conflict? Because mm. my my very short to start off going into this playthrough is that I think it's an interesting conflict that can sometimes feel like it's tripping over itself to try to have two sides to the story. That is literally exactly what I would say about it. Like there is a and, and especially in Dragon Age 2, like, the very end of Dragon Age 2, like, there is something to touch on there about, like, the way in which Dragon Age tries to frame this as, like, there is there are two, like, well-rounded arguments for either side. And, you know, and that's not even just for me. Like, I mean, like I said, my, my personal quote-unquote background in the Dragon Age universe is as a mage. Like, that is how I have always existed in this world. So, like, I mean, sure, call me biased, but, like, I don't think it's, like, a bias to believe that your people should not be locked up and persecuted just for what they are born as. And I don't feel like Dragon Age really successfully ever sells the idea that there are two sides here. But, I mean, they have stuck with it three games in. Like, they have not dropped that narrative and I think a lot of that just comes into sort of the way that Bioware... Like, and we talked about this a lot in Mass Effect as well. Like, they want to present a both sides of an argument and let you kind of, as a player, decide mm-hmm. both, like, the future of how this conflict is going to go out, but also just generally what, what you think is right, like, what you are willing to stand by. And I don't know. Like, I, 
like I said, I don't think that they have successfully ever really given me a reason to support the Templars in any way. I, I, I like to say sometimes about Dragon Age that no mage in Dragon Age is a blood mage user, a blood magic user, until a Templar says they are. Because then they're kind of, they kind of get backed into a corner, and then it's always a case of, well, now the mage has to use blood mage to, to live, or else they'll be mm. turned tranquil. And I think that does present some interesting commentary just the idea that the only reason they would ever use this kind of force is if they are backed into it right um but then that also just kind of creates this thing of like oh well they'll always be dangerous and and that kind of fuels the the more aggressive sect of the templar i i think there are moments where the series does manage to strike that balance in a in a, just the right way where you can see that somewhere down at its core the idea was struck that the templar would help the mages because the mages are kind of always playing with fire they are always going into the fade where there are demons where there are things they don't understand and sometimes that can bring things back out with them and the templar are there to be the the white blood cells to the red blood cells you know Mm -hmm. to be the ones that kind of clean out the infection to use a brutal term (laughs) but you see immediately in this origin how that has just gone completely to shit because they have this nice school that seems all hogwartsy and stuff like that and then as you go through it you realize oh they've been lobotomizing mages and they have Mm -hmm blood vials down in the basement so if any of them ever runs away they can track them down and if anyone is even slightly suspected of blood magic they're put down or given the lobotomy and i should have put a trigger warning at the start of this segment but um it's i don't mind that you see a system that's broken because i think that gives you something as a mage character to work towards fixing and i think it's telling that at least in this game uh you are never really given you're never really put in the place to where you would be a templar by origin you would have to be a templar by choice whereas you could be a mage by origin and i think that's an interesting way that they kind of frame that conflict in this game from the start the templar are brutal and unrelenting and they would rather be safe than sorry uh in all the ways that i look hey they are they are a policing force right and we're seeing the policing force at its worst here right and i think that's i mean that's a little bit of and we can i guess this is a decent time to talk about it as well um that's a frustrating thing to me about origins is that i feel like this and i think this is something we need to bring up fairly early on is that there have been interviews since the dragon age series like you know has gone on that have Mm -hmm. said Dragon Age Origins was never meant to be a franchise. Like, that was never, like... Mm. They did not write this game under the assumption that they were going to make another game. But I think that what's kind of frustrating to me about Origins specifically is that because it is in that sort of, like, standalone space before everything actually, like, of substance happened, I don't really feel like this game does a lot to... Like, it shows you a lot of these injustices, but it doesn't really give you opportunities to fix or push towards fixing almost any of it. Like, everything that you do in this game is in service to fighting the Darkspawn and the Blight. And so when we come back to the circle later, which we're going to do in, like, a couple episodes, um, there's something happening here, 
and no matter what you do, that system is going to be remain in place, and it's just a matter of, like, how this conflict can serve what we as Grey Wardens can do. And mm-hmm. that's why, I mean, amongst other things, that is why Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition, those two games feel like the ones that are going to be the most interesting things to talk about, because you are put in positions of, like, being able to change things and not just, like, you know, rummage through what you want to help you with your other thing. Like, there are all these broken systems and people in place, and it's almost like they're just set dressing for the war that happens at the end of this game. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Um, you It really ends up feeling like by the end of this game, you're just trying to cobble together whatever you can. Right. And in some ways, I feel like that serves the end goal, which is this idea that all these conflicts can seem futile and meaningless in the face of the larger issue at hand. Mm-hmm. But in some ways that can also feel like it ends up forcing you into a situation where you might have to make a compromise that isn't the best one possible for the parties involved, or you might have to do something that you're going to feel bad about because it's going to get you the forces you need to overcome the greater evil. I think that's maybe the most interesting thing that origins does. I'm not saying it always does it well, but I do like that it kind of forces that feeling towards you. Whereas um, mass effect one did kind of have that looming threat of what Saren doing, but this almost feels closer to like Mass Effect 3 where you are in that active, you need to get the universe together as fast as you can to fight the Reapers versus, uh, oh, you know, we should probably, you know, when we get some time, we should go check up on what that Saren guy's doing, you know? (laughs) And uh, I do like that. And maybe that's one of the more interesting things about Dragon Age as a series is that each one kind of has its own very distinct they're they're so much more distinct and separate than mass effects ever felt you know mass effect one and two was good and for ill like yes yes to be clear uh i think and we can kind of segue this into what i want to talk about kind of broadly before we end this episode uh can you believe we're already at the end of our first episode ken (laughs) don't worry we're we're all we're recording another one within 24 hours of this one because yep. of pack south so uh don't worry it won't be done just yet but <laughs> um the way i wanted to segue this was you know mass effect one to two was a significant jump two to three maybe a less significant jump but there were still noticeable differences but dragon age origins is markedly different from dragon age 2 which is also incredibly different from dragon age inquisition mm-hmm even just at the core system so like right. dragon age origins we didn't really talk about this much but like the character creator oh my god it sucks <laughs> holy awful. crap it's it's bad that's why it, part of the reason why i didn't make a female character for this specific game was because i flipped it over to female elf and looked at female elf for like five seconds and was like do i want this to be my character for all right. of origins no it looks like what they were doing with fantasy games 10 even 15 years ago and this looks dumb i'm not gonna do it see ya in dragon age 2 female main character (laughs) (laughs) but even in even on the dude side as well they all just look strange and off in that very like 
it it was what the fantasy designs were like at the time if you go back and look at them but even coming off of mass effect one it just looks off and it it looks kind of muddy at times Mm. depending on where you are there's not a lot of color in the world uh i feel like later games added a lot more i feel like dragon age 2 is probably going to be the most muddy out of all of them like in my head that's how i see that game it's just like a smear of dirt over everything but inquisition i remember having all these like bright colorful spells and different places that you went that were all very different biomes and here it's like oh everything's grim and grimy i think the interesting thing I mean, not necessarily a good way. That's interesting to me about Origins is that there's no visual identity to this game. And, like, they're, mm-hmm. like, the characters are all, they all, like, even the most important ones, they all look like characters you could have made the character creator. Like, it's mm-hmm. interesting to look at characters like Alistair, who has been in each game to some extent, who, like, but gradually started to Who look... could be in each game to some extent. Fair. Uh... <laughs> that, like, gradually started to look like a very distinct, iconic figure, where in this game, he's just, like, he's just a fucking fucking dude. And the same with, like, Morgan and Liliana. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm at, like, I don't remember how much... I don't know how much you remember this, but, like, do you remember in the uh, the section in Inquisition where Morgan first appeared that she's got that huge yes. purple, yeah. black dress? Like, yeah. that character looks nothing... like they could never have pulled off a character that looked that distinct and like important and anything like that in origins. And I think, you know, granted, like some of that's a technical issue, but also like Mass Effect one came out around this time and Mass Effect, Mass Effect two came out like two months later, I think after this game, like it's astounding to me to just look at how not, I don't want to say soulless, but like, it, like it lacks a personality origins does like just the way it looks. And that kind of just feels in line with how I feel about Origins in general, is that, like, it's it's a game blatantly unaware of how special parts of it are. I could see that. Uh, I definitely... When you mentioned the thing that, like, Origins was not designed to be this, like, franchise in the way that Mass Effect was, I definitely feel that in the way this game is designed. It almost feels like it's the sort of game that, like, the Outer Worlds, that where you would make it where, like... I like the Outer Worlds, um, but... It, that feels like a game that was like, hey, you like those Obsidian Fallout games? Here's one of those. And Dragon Age feels like, hey, remember the games that Bioware used to make? This is one of those. And we're going to try a few new things. But man, like, here are numbers that pop up instead of a chat wheel because we're not designing this for controllers right now because why would we right. do that? This is a CRPG. And here's all this, like, oh, the equipment. Ugh. <laughs> it's... Look, there are things I enjoy in games, but one of the things I'm glad that has been streamlined over the years is like the amount of equipment and inventory management mm-hmm. that you do in games, especially ones that feel incredibly unnecessary. Like you're not getting side grades or interesting changes. You're just always getting like, oh, here's more junk for the junk pile. Like right. that's what this game is sometimes where I stopped looting bodies after a while because I was like, ah, it's just junk. It's just gonna be junk. <laughs> like uh and the combat in this game also, like playing as a rogue in this game. So from from my full Dragon Age experience, I played through Dragon Age Origins all the way as a warrior, which felt fine. You know, that's maybe the most RPG, like classic RPG this game. The series has ever felt it's playing a warrior 
uh and then the mage i didn't like it just felt finicky to me at times i don't know it's there was something about it i remember distinctly being like i don't like the way magic handles because i think i went back to play it after playing inquisition where i did play as a mage and i really liked playing as a mage in inquisition uh and it just didn't feel quite the same to me uh but the most fun i've had in the series much like the vanguard in mass effect 2 was playing rogue in in, uh, dragon age 2 because not only do i feel like my hawk will always be a rogue a charming rogue but that was when they were like okay you know what rogue should just be fun like you should just do dumb stuff as a dual blade rogue all the time you should just basically be a ninja and i was like cool let me do that let's have some fun (laughs) and rogue in this game especially if you're playing that dual blade rogue which is what i'm like building into what i'm optimizing for uh not the same you kind of just feel like a weaker warrior a lot of the time and it's yeah the combat in this game is is nothing to write home about whatsoever and it's it's i mean i don't think we've actually talked about this what system are you playing on i'm playing it on pc so it feels like a pc ass pc game right because like I'm playing it on 360, I'm gonna play one and two or Origins and two on 360, and I'll play Inquisition on PS4. Um, the the game doesn't feel like it's built for console. Like it's a really weird, jarring thing mm-hmm. to have. Like to, like you know to log onto an enemy like as as playing as a mage. Oh, when I played this you... originally, I played it on 360 just right. for context. So right. So it's just like there's a weird feeling of like not feeling active enough in the process mm-hmm. of fighting yeah. in this game to like cuz you know my gut and, or like this is like uh Greedfall which we played last year like I played a mage yes. in that and that was at least like an action RPG to the point where like my using of spells and the like felt like I was actually having to make inputs to make it happen where it kind of like I mean it took me a minute to like fully adjust to it but like I can press a lock onto an enemy and then my character is going to just you know, do yeah, spells. Just shoot spells. And like I it's a weird thing to like feel like I have to step back after I've decided how to do something. Granted, like, you know, I still have to do like additional spells and like that envi- that requires inputs and lock locking on and like positioning uh things on the the battlefield. But just in general, like, there's not really much to playing through combat in this game. And I, mm-hmm. it's something that I'm like really glad that they I guess realize that they need to optimize this for console as well. And you know, like we said at the time, this probably was not being made of consoles in mind. So like by the time the Dragon Age 2 came out, they were like, okay, we need to make this like applicable to that control scheme. And so it felt better then. I think it's important to note too, like this idea that a CR, like I'm not trying to, I don't think either of us are giving off, trying to give off the impression that CRPG can't work on consoles because I think games like, divinity original sin 2 is the one i hear brought up all the time is like shining example of these games can work on console Mm -hmm. it's that this specifically this era of design was for for this style of rpg was very pc first and a lot of the combat also it was that weird real-time combat because it was still that era of bioware crpg development that wanted to do that uh I feel like them moving to consoles and having to make games for consoles like Mass Effect and like the later Dragon Ages actually ended up just making their combat better overall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, honestly. Uh, and we talk about Greedfall. Like, one of the things I like about Greedfall is that it 
felt way more active than even Dragon Age 2, the game that I felt like it was most trying to imitate, mm. uh, ended up feeling because it took some of those lessons from like The Witcher, you know, The Witcher 2 and The Witcher 3, of having that more active combat where you're kind of dancing around and you're parrying and guarding and things like that. Things that would be dice rolls in other games right. you're now having to actively do and you're being rewarded for actively doing. And that's, you know, that's not for everybody, but it really did make those combat sections feel better whereas in this game like i'm gonna be honest with you ken kind of just want to bump it down to the lowest difficulty and breeze yeah. through all the combat sections that's, because that's what I did. yeah it's i don't it's not even that i feel it's difficult i just don't feel like there's any reward for me going through the extra time spent right. to play it like it's intention to i feel right. like, like the highest level of this game is not as rewarding as i would like from other games right i mean i just i personally went to casual because like if you uh, depending on the difficulties you set, um, your character, your party members will take friendly fire damage, and a lot of mm-hmm. mage abilities oh, are like yes, there's area that effect too. stuff. So I'm like, I'd rather not burn my friends alive. That's a that's a slider thing in later games, right? Because I remember playing Inquisition on the normal difficulty and not having to worry as much about friendly fire. But maybe I'm just I accidentally singed my enemies a few times in mm. Inquisition and didn't know about it. Don't uh, think actually yeah it'll be interesting to see that when we go back i do i do remember like dragon age inquisition specifically a lot of the higher end game boss fights in that game uh felt a lot more rewarding to overcome on the higher difficulties because you did have these sort of interactions these ways that your characters kind of interlocked that's that's the other thing that feels missing right now maybe we'll start to see i'll start to see more of that pop back up as we get more characters in but a lot of the ways that you would traditionally have these characters that would set up combos, the sort of like combo detonator that Andromeda had, uh, and just different elements interacting and things like that. uh, You don't see as much of that here. And I'm hoping that there might be more of it, but I have a feeling from what I remember that that stuff doesn't really pick up until Dragon Age 2. Yeah. Uh, So... Overall, first impressions of Dragon Age Origins, after we've gotten through the Origins, we're now to Ostagar, where Duncan is going to initiate us into the Grey Wardens. That's going to be our next episode, but my f- overall first impression from Origins is that, once again, it's better than I remember. Uh, a lot of the writing is surprisingly better, especially the world building. I feel like world building is one of this game's strongest suits, mm. and just the places that you're experiencing the the world that's setting up and kind of also the way that it thrusts you into the middle of it with some of these origins i really enjoy compared to other more traditional fantasy experiences but at the same time uh the combat is holding me back and it it shows its age more than most other games i have ever played in recent memory (laughs) that's extremely fair uh how, how are your first impressions before we cap off this episode uh, I mean, I think if nothing else, I'm, I don't think I would go back to play Dragon Age Origins if it weren't for the show. And that's not like, I feel like the the purpose of what we do, like what we do with this show makes Dragon Age Origins a more interesting game to play for me. Because if mm. I was playing this for enjoyment, like there's nothing here for me. Um, but the you thought heard of it like, here first. Neither of us are enjoying this. <laughs> I mean, and that's probably like a that's a first, I guess, for Normandy FM. Like, there's usually like as some disparity there. There's some discourse to be had, but it's just like 
it, it is interesting to me to look back on and see, like I said even before, like how much this game did not realize what was coming and to mm. sort of see like the pieces that are put into place that, I mean, and it's going to be like a recurring thing. I don't know that Bioware really picks up on a lot of continuity very well in this series. And I think, I don't know, like it's, it's interesting to watch what Bioware did when they didn't think there was a future to be had. That's interesting. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Next episode will be uh, the Battle of Ostagar, as well as our initiation into the Grey Wardens. And then also, uh, there might be another area that we end up at after that battle. Uh, there's certainly a lot of game for me to play tonight, as Ken and I will be recording uh, 24 hours in our time. Uh, but those episodes will be going up separately, uh, although they might episode two might go up a little bit earlier for patreon mm. subscribers we haven't really decided that sort of thing yet i i leave that to ken most of the time <laughs> to let him decide how he wants to put that stuff out uh as a reminder uh the the podcast rollout should be normal but the reason i'm mentioning all that is because ken and i will be down in san antonio in texas this weekend uh for pack south we are doing a panel where we rank all the mass effect companions it will definitely not be contentious. No. There will not be blood spilled. Totally going to agree on everything. We're going to shake hands it's, at the end. It's definitely not 13 plus for a reason. I'm going to feel really bad for when there's like a bunch of small children there. And then we're like, look, okay. Leave. Runt does not fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I refuse to accept that. Uh. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's. I'm looking forward to that. We'll be on there with a friend of the show, our our, our lovely friend Josh, as well as uh, somebody who hasn't been on the show yet, but might end up coming on by the end of it. Uh, Kate Sanchez, who is with But Why Though, uh, we are very excited to have them on and talk all things uh, Mass Effect there one more time. Well, it probably won't be the last time. No. <laughs> and we are going to try to have audio to put on the podcast feed for yes. anyone who can't make it because Texas is very far away for most people. Like most, like actual civilization is not near Texas. So. Wow. Wow. Just burn me like that. Huh. Not burn you. I'm burning the red hot Texas that is always burning. So like it's. Uh, yeah. It is. No it's effect. hot. It's hot down here. Actually, it's cold right now. You should bring a jacket this weekend, just letting you know. No but, uh, yeah, it's. we'll try to have audio up on that, and we'll put that up as a special episode on the podcast feed just for y'all. Uh, but normal podcast rollout should be everything it should be. Uh, as for our actual schedule that I'm going to run over one time here, just so y'all know how it's going to lay out if you'd like to play along at home, Obviously, this was the Origins episode. Next week will be Battle of Ostagar and Lothering. On January 29th, uh, we will be... Actually, is it the 29th? Ken, do we have this here as recording dates or release dates? These are, these are release dates. <laughs> release dates, okay. On January 29th, uh, we'll be talking the Circle of Magi with Josh Silverman. Very excited about that. On February 5th, we'll be going to Redcliffe. On February 12th, we'll go to the Brazilian Forest with Caitlin Galizro. Very excited. Uh, on February 19th, the Urn of Sacred Ashes with one Andrew King. Uh, on February 26th, Orzammar with Amy Hart. And on March 4th, the Lands Meet. 
Uh, I'm just realizing now I'm saying all these guest names when we have not fully confirmed with all of them. I've things talked can to always each of them, change. and they all say this, these should be fine, so... Okay, well, then we're committing it to podcasts, and if they're not on, uh, you know who to take your grievances up with, not them. Take them up with me, please. Uh, it's my fault. <laughs> on March 11th, uh, we'll be finally getting into Awakening after we end the lands meet. Uh, we'll be going to the Assault on Vigil's Keep on March 18th. We will do the Awakening on March 25th. There will be some companion quests on uh, April 1st, April Fool's Day, we'll be doing a lot of different quests. The Siege on Vigil's Keep and Amaranthine, as well as the Depths of Depravity with Caitlin Galiz Rowe once again. And then on April 8th, we will close out all of our Origins content with the DLC Witch Hunt, uh, just to kind of lead into the larger story implications of Origins. And then in April, we will be starting Dragon Age 2. And we can get into the meat and potatoes of this this season. Looking, but at, looking over that, there's like this game is so long. Like there's so much. Like there's there's like not as much as you think there is, but there's also so much. The the story beats. There are fewer story beats, but they are meatier story beats than I remember. Uh, I will say that. Also, there's less companion stuff to do. That's the other part of it. Is normally awesome. we'd have a bunch of companion. Uh, things in here which obviously dragon age 2 we will have some of that but with origins they had not really brought the whole mass effect it feels a little bit more like mass effect 1 in that way where there's yeah, not they, a lot to talk about there they got like these small things that we can tack on to any other episode they don't need like you know the full-blown episode dedicated right. to them. and honestly the companions of dragon age origins most of them are either don't have much to them and really don't play like massive roles later on or the ones that do we will be able to talk about in other games in much more detail and depth there so there are exactly three characters that matter uh-huh wait out of like nine wait morgan leliana alistair yeah okay well theoretically if, and if depending possibly... on the choices we make <laughs> hmm. Oh, I'm still. Th I'm thinking over what I'm going to be doing for the ending of this game. Ken, uh, I've been be thinking nice. about it for a while. Be very nice. He is a he is a nice boy. He doesn't deserve anything else but the best. Okay, so so you're saying he gonna die? No. <laughs> I thought you said he deserves the best. Oh, okay, oh, we're talking. Fair okay. enough. <laughs> Oh, you will know what we are laughing about if you play Dragon Age Origins or if you stick with us all the way through the season. We hope you do. But until then, for Ken, I am Eric. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Normandy FM. Eric, I know it's been a really long time, so you might have forgotten that we do some things around here, but we got to do Patreon shoutouts. Oh my god, we do got to do Patreon shoutouts. I can't believe I just ended it like that. I really hope Ken uh, is nice and edits that out for me. <laughs> I haven't decided yet. I'll figure out when I get there. Okay, okay. We... I'm at the mercy of Ken. Uh, I'm pulling open our Patreon shoutouts, which I realize I don't have my list that I used to keep of all our patrons. Uh, so I'm now scrolling back through our patron feed to see all our wonderful supporters. I believe we only have five who get the dedicated shoutout on here. If, or three, like, I should say. I would say that sounds like more than I thought yeah. it would be. No, we only have three that get the dedicated shoutouts. So, Anthony Mathias... Uh, Ginny Wu, what's up? And Chris Johns, thank all of you so much for contributing. If you want your name shouted out at the end of every Normandy FM episode, you just gotta head over to patreon.com slash normandyfm. 
it's not that hard. Just go over there and contribute a little bit. If you don't, times are hard. Understand, just head over to twitter.com slash show. You can follow us there, subscribe, follow along, go to Spotify, go to iTunes, all your podcast providers. We're there. Keep up with us. When you do get some time, donate. Maybe get us to that Jade Empire if we ever actually end up doing that. <laughs> if not... If, you know. if not, then I, I don't know. I'll play it and live tweet it, I guess. Because <laughs> now I feel like I'm just committed to this no matter what. My my work will never be done. Uh, and then, I don't know. Ken, have we ever talked about whether if a Dragon Age 4 comes out before this podcast is done, if we're going to just keep going to Dragon Age 4? I think it's very unlikely that that's going to happen, but I will absolutely come back and do a Dragon Age 4 show. Maybe we'll Assuming think about that, that the game is not like Anthem with Dragons. If it's Anthem with Dragons, I might just leave video games forever. Yeah, I, that's fair. I mean, we can we can take that that death pack together. But until then, for Ken, I'm Eric. Thank you for tuning in. We will see you next time. This time on. We have watched and waited.